<laughs> I'm glad I started recording right before you said that. <laughs> you caught me talking I, to the squirrel. I did. <laughs> I didn't hear you click the record button. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, Kristen, we've got good news for everybody. Do we? We do. We have bonus content. Yes, we do. We've got bad news for everybody. Oh, no. It's only on the Patreon. Oh, <laughs> that's right. But we've got good news for everybody. <laughs> yes. It's still free. <laughs> it's still free, but over on the Patreon. So it's public. You don't have to pay for anything, but that's where it lives. Yes, it'll be unlocked. The, the bonus content lives on Patreon, even though these first two, maybe three months, let's go three. These first three months, we'll keep it unlocked public. It'll all be free. Well, that was behind the curtains because he just decided we're doing this three months. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to ask you earlier, and I forgot. Oh, no. I have to read another book and watch two more movies. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to tell them what it was going to be. Oh, no. I'm going to let them... Find out? Let them live in suspense until Friday. Okay. Well, I want to give a quick shout out to all the folks who are supporting us by listening every week. And talking to me on Twitter, thank you so much. I'm really enjoying my time on Twitter this time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a change. It really is. (laughs) Uh, We are so grateful to all of you. And I want to give a specific shout out to Kindle Reviews and J.A. Sullivan for featuring us in their reviews last week. That was amazing and unexpected. And I sent it to my sister. I was so proud. And check out uh, the people who made us the runner-up prom queen, the podcast The Gloom. Oh, yes. Check them out, because they're they're better than us. Yes. They're the prom queens. We're the runner-ups. Yes. Runners-up. Runners-up. And I have started listening to The Gloom, so I agree. Definitely listen. Please follow us on social, primarily on Twitter right now, at Cast Files. And keep telling your friends about us. Thank you so much for all of the, the love and the gifts and the responses and just and the comments and the behind-the-scenes information that I'm getting. It's great. I'm having so much fun. And shout out to all you guys who have followed me on my personal Twitter, seen all of my far-left radical politics, <laughs> and then unfollowed. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm keeping it fun over on the Cast Files, it on is, Cast Files. It is unfun on my feed. It is, yes. <laughs> but that makes sense. <laughs> stay stay with me. Yes. Before we get into it this week, I wanted, because this episode is based on a cult classic film, The Thing, 1982's The Thing, specifically because there is a, there's a 1951 and there's a book and then there's the 2011 reboot or continuation. It's the, it's, uh, it's the Swedes. The Norwegians. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your jaunty hat? <laughs> oh, I'm missing my hat. <laughs> All right, so what are... I didn't pick the thing on my list because I felt like that would be cheating, even though I do feel like it could be on my top three. Wow, top three. Tell them what the list is. Oh, the list <laughs> <laughs> on my top three cult classic favorite movies specifically movies we're not doing music or tv shows is there cult classic music yes i found a list oh wow i have to look at that later ghost was on it nice (laughs) well that's mine yes (laughs) i almost put them on my list just to be like i didn't say movies but i did all right so we both have some runners up some honorable mentions honorable mentions yeah some second place prom queens yeah well, and top three, so it's like fourth and fifth place prom queens. Yeah, I know. I just threw in, uh, it, it was hard. 
There were a lot. So what is one of your honorable mentions? One of my honorable mentions is, and it's heartbreaking that this is an honorable mention, this is Spinal Tap. Ah! I love that movie. It's such a good movie. It, it is really fun. So that's one of my honorable Okay. Um, one of mine is naturally, and I had to make this an honorable mention because I have two fun stories, is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay. I mean, it's not unique, but I've had a lot of fun going to the live shows. Uh, one time I went to a live show with a person who was debuting their female persona oh, okay. in public for the first time. It was so much fun. We had a blast. <laughs> All dressed up. We had fishnets and corsets and just like the whole deal. We just went all out. It was super fun. And then when we took Riley yeah. to Tampa Theater. <laughs> and he left during the opening. Well, yes. It got so, a little... Re- he was 12? Yeah. 12 at the time? So the opening part definitely got risque. But the he had so much fun during the actual theater well i say it was a movie and it also had the actors and it was he had so much fun throwing cards and toast and (laughs) just everything so with the caveat of that opening ooh, whoops that was so much fun and now we just listen to the soundtrack whenever we feel like it good soundtrack it's got like a nice little warm fuzzy i know that there are some problems with it but it's on it's heartwarming to me for my specific memories of it great all right another one of my i have two uh, honorable mentions this will come as no surprise as it fits firmly in my favorite genre of movie okay Shaun of the dead yep horror comedy horror comedy my <laughs> favorite genre of movie another one i didn't see in the theater i caught it when it was on that might have been dvd I think I think that was DVD. That was after VHS. I didn't the, even think of that one. The DVD VHS switchover. Really love that. I was thinking about it the other day on my run. Uh, yeah, great movie. Oh my gosh. All of all of theirs. The Blood and Ice Cream trilogy. Really good. Uh, my other honorable mention is Jennifer's Body. <laughs> I wanted it to be in my top three, but to be completely honest, I have only recently seen it. I have read the screenplay and listened to literally every podcast I could find that has the commentary on it and read anything I could get my hands on. I don't know how I didn't end up seeing it, but oh my goodness, freaking love. Love, love, love. It was good. All right, so top three. Yep, what is your third? Top three, I'm going no particular order. Okay. Yeah, I can't. That's fine. So what is one of your three? Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, what a good one. I love that movie. It, it, it hit cult classic status somehow. It's another uh, John Carpenter movie. Yep. And I, lo- I love it. Great choice. Um, I picked Heathers. Oh, yeah. It is so much fun. I could watch Heathers at any point. If, it, if we were, I was talking about this the other day, if we were scrolling on TV like... We don't ever do anymore. And it was on at any point, I would stop. The bright colors, the dark, sinister feeling of it, the uh, very, just everybody's very attractive. It's, <laughs> I don't know if I want to be Winona Ryder or if I want to date Winona Ryder. <laughs> it's like this whole, the whole thing is just like, oh. And then, oh, just 
just some of the cutest people. And I love the, the fun style. Everything about it is super fun. I mean, except, you know, mur <laughs> murdering their classmates. But, eh, eh. I mean, that's fun too. <laughs> Who among us? <laughs> it was, oh, it's so good. It's so good. I bought the Blu-ray and watched it with Riley. That was another one I watched with Riley. All right, what's another one of yours? Uh, this one, I tried hard to keep it out of my top three because I feel it's overdone and just kind of... It's well, got... you've heard my list. <laughs> all right, sure. But I've here's my thing. I've decided that if I like it, that's all that matters. This is my list. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so... Which is why this one's on my list, even though I feel like it's on every 40 three-year-old man's list no oh, okay what is it and it's, it's on my dad's list it's a movie my dad has said out loud that he likes the big lebowski oh yes this is on every 43 year old man's list <laughs> i i wanted to go you know a different route and pick something more avant-garde or I obscure thought... but it counts as a cult classic it's on all the cult classic lists yep and it's a phenomenal movie. I thought about doing that too. I wanted to be more interesting than I am probably. <laughs> yeah, right. But then I thought, then my criteria was it's, it is a cult film. So it, it falls into that definition. And I would literally just stop and watch it when, whenever, from whatever point. And so that's how I got my list. I, I try to go with like which ones I've seen the most. And I've definitely seen The Big Lebowski several times. Yes. And to be fair, I didn't want to see The Big Lebowski, and then we watched it, and I was like, oh, this isn't as dumb as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so my next one is Lost Boys. Oh, yeah. That one nearly made honorable mention for me, because so good. Everybody in that one is also very attractive. Yes. The men, the women, just everybody is just looking their best. Yeah, Star was definitely one of my early crushes. How could she not be? Don't ask me. <laughs> I clearly don't know. I love the story. I love the tone. I love the characters. Just, it's such a good film. And we rewatched it last Halloween or the Halloween before. Maybe both. Yeah. And be. it just, it feels like it holds up. It doesn't feel like there are those little asterisks you have to put behind a lot of 80s movies where you're like, this uh, is good, but... There's some sexual assault parts in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Most 80s movies have that. Yeah. So I really, really like that. Could be more diverse. I was going to say, there's not any racism in it, but that's because there's no people of color <laughs> Yeah. I will probably watch it again this Halloween season. Or, you know, this weekend. Yeah. All right. So we're down to my last one. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's another no surprise because it's in my favorite genre of movie. Horror comedy. Army of Darkness. Okay. Yes. That's one of those where if I'm sick, that's one of them that I'll watch. It was before the VHS DVD changeover. So this is the movie that I have bought the most times. <laughs> I bought it on VHS. Then there was a director's cut that I bought on VHS. Then I bought it on DVD. Then there was a special edition DVD, and then, and then I think there was a director's cut DVD, and then a Blu-ray. That one and the Star Wars original trilogy are, are close to how many times I've bought them. Wow. That is a lot. That's a lot of versions of a thing. Yeah. And then there's, and then there's so many follow-up films, and there was a TV show, right? Oh, Army of Darkness? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah, those are fun. TV show, and apparently there is a new movie going to come out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That might be the first movie to get me back in the theaters. Yeah, I could see that. I might have to buy a hazmat suit, but... 
Yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> well, I think you know what my number one is. I have an idea. What do you think it is? I don't have an idea. You don't have an idea? I If I thought about it, maybe, but I'm on oh. the spot right now. Yesterday you said, was it yesterday? Two days ago? Whenever we started doing this, you said that you knew what was going to be on my list. Yeah, I, I knew Heather's, and I knew uh, Jennifer's body, and I knew Rocky Horror. Okay. I knew those for sure, and once you say this, I'm going to go, oh yeah, I knew that too. <laughs> Labyrinth. You know what? I didn't. That makes perfect sense, but I, I was wrong. I, when, I did not call that one. Yep. Oh, David Bowie. Yes. Before I even knew what a crush was, <laughs> <laughs> I had a crush on him. Oh, the costuming. And of course, the Muppets. The just, the songs... I listened to that soundtrack. Yeah. I gave it to Riley to listen to that soundtrack to fall to fall asleep to. He used to fall asleep to it all the time. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that movie. I can't either. There is definitely the nostalgia portion of that because it is, it's not, it's muted colors. It's not bright and shiny like a lot of movies now. I was going to say kids movies, but that's not even true because Marvel is just like, look at this bright, shiny explosion and look at this bright, shiny outfit and look at this bright shiny shield <laughs> <laughs> and look at all of these lens flares oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, that ballroom scene forever i have wanted to be in that ballroom trying scene. really hard not to sing right now <laughs> <laughs> anytime david bowie gets brought up i, I just want to start singing oh that beautiful beautiful man and then how she how she, sarah grows as a character through the whole thing because when she starts out she's kind of like uh, she's she's just a teenage girl yes that can't memorize like four lines <laughs> and she's going through some stuff by the end she faces off against this beautiful beautiful goblin king she should have just given in <laughs> i feel like her life might have been better the goblin queen i mean that's some power right there that maybe all she has to do is like sacrifice a baby <laughs> Not even somebody with a personality yet. <laughs> so I'm, I take it you would sacrifice a baby to be with David Bowie? <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't. <laughs> but I would never say that via electronic communications. I see. <laughs> I see. We're just going to leave that there. Good idea. As you don't edit it out of this episode <laughs> and you put it onto the airwaves. <laughs> All right. So that's our top five, really. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and this is an incredibly long intro, so let's get into the episode. I All suppose. right, let's go. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed. And I'm Kristen Riley. And this is The Cast Files. I am a nerd who somehow never saw The X-Files. And I watched it when it originally aired. The Cast Files is a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of The X-Files, spoiler free. Today we are watching Season 1, Episode 8, Ice. It originally aired November 5th, 1993 to a viewership of 10 million people. It was directed by David Nutter and written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. And according to IMDb, it scored an 8.8 stars, which beat out the previous best episode on IMDb with 8.6 stars. Squeeze. Squeeze. Yep. (laughs) 
So <laughs> IMDb apparently disagrees with us about what the best episodes are, <laughs> and we disagree with us about what the best episodes are. I was about are. to say, I don't think so, because I think after we watch this one, we would probably rank this one higher. Oh yeah, this episode's great. Matter of fact, I want to make that disclaimer before I say anything else about this episode. I loved it. I love this episode. It's fantastic. So everything I say about it, keep that in mind, please. <laughs> I also did a Twitter poll, obviously very basic, very non-scientific, and asked about people's favorite season one episode, because I have seen a lot of later seasons people are talking about, and Ice was the one that ranked up there. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Because great episode. It really does. And one last thing before we get into the actual episode. I want everyone to know, this is kind of the trigger warning, except there's not really a trigger exactly. After watching this... I had nightmares about worms in our bodies. Oh, oh no. Yep. Uh, that's awful. It was gross. And I have vivid nightmares. You guys don't know that, but they are intense. So let's go to the Arctic. You ready? I'm ready to go to the Arctic. Okay. Opening scene at the Arctic Ice Core Project, Icy Cape, Alaska, which is 250 miles north of the Arctic Circle, which, because I don't know anything about anything, I was thinking, how far north can you go from the Arctic Circle before you start going south? Oh, I also don't know that. <laughs> but of course, my immediate thought here was, oh, this is the thing. Yes. And then a, a minute or two into it, it's confirmed. Oh, this is the thing. <laughs> All right. So it is negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside. How much is that Celsius? I don't know. <laughs> Why did you do that? I didn't look it up. You can see my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read your notes. I did see that it's negative 40. I didn't read your notes. There's a dog wandering around the Arctic facility whining. Just like the thing. A shirtless bloody man enters with a gun and turns on the radio. There's no summer jams for this guy. No, it's, and he turns on a video camera. Oh yeah, I saw him turning on toggles. Yeah, you shouldn't need very many toggles to turn on a video camera. Right. But there he definitely were... turned on a video camera. Mm -hmm. He did. Oh, it's a transmission. That's what it was. So it's some sort of video transmission. Okay. Glad we figured that out. That was good. We've only watched this twice. <laughs> <laughs> Another man shows up while he's doing this. The first bloody man is doing the transmission. A man with scraggly blonde hair wearing a blue flannel. It's Rowdy Roddy Piper from They Live. Oh! David Nutter knew what he was doing. Wow. He's throwing John Carpenter stuff in here on purpose. That's awesome. Because as soon as the guy jumps him, you can't see his face, so you just see blue flannel, blonde, long blonde hair, and I went, it's Rowdy Roddy Piper. That's amazing. They have a fight scene that's exactly the right length of time. <laughs> 30 seconds or less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not nearly as long as the fight scene from They Live. No. Just like seven minutes long and amazing. <laughs> no, also for new listeners, I have a fight scene time frame where it's 30 seconds or less for any subsequent fights. <laughs> and then the major fight scene can be 60 seconds. Oh, the end. That makes sense. I think that they should have gotten Keith David to play the first guy. That way they'd have covered They Live and the thing with the one actor. That would have been cool. Oh well. Maybe he was busy. <laughs> or didn't want to be on the X-Files. <laughs> well. At the time. Which is amazing because we'll get to it. This episode has amazing guest stars. It really does. Amazing guest stars. 
I have some things to say about that too. So after they have the fight scene that is exactly the right length of time, it ends, they point guns at each other, lots of heavy breathing, so <laughs> I may ship these two. <laughs> you said we couldn't ship dead people. Did I? Yeah. I take it back because I've already shipped them. <laughs> literally my next sentence is, then double suicide a la Romeo and Juliet. So my ship is revealed. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So I wanted to ship uh, Mulder and the Jersey Devil. And you told me I couldn't. <laughs> I changed my mind three episodes later. Dang it. I, look, the rules I don't make up. I just adjust for myself. <laughs> Also, I do make them up. <laughs> when we were watching this, Riley was watching this with us, and he noticed that the light in the building went out as the two men shot themselves. Yeah, I didn't catch it, but he pointed it out. And so we rewatched, and it sure does. And I said, where's the dog? Because remember, there was a dog at the beginning? There was. And throughout the thing... Dogs are a thing. Dogs are a thing. And fortunately, dogs in the X-Files make out better than dogs in the thing. <laughs> Much. I also have dog trivia. Oh, Okay. The dog in Ice was the father of David Duchovny's dog, Blue. What? So it's a nepotism hire. <laughs> uh. I don't know the timeline, though. I don't know if this dog already had. Ah, uh, this is as heartbreaking as finding out that the father of Wishbone was a famous dog as well. Oh, you do look sad. Oh, moment of silence uh, for nepotism. Nepotism. <laughs> then we have the opening credits. So we're at the FBI headquarters. Mulder and Scully are watching the video of the Arctic guys on a staticky TV. And even on an old video camera, the picture is clearer than Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to get that out there in the public, I right? did, yes. <laughs> hate Zack Snyder. <laughs> Don't come at me because you know, you know deep down that even if you like his movies, they're not good. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that you did that. <laughs> I wrote it the very first time. I was like, this is better than Zack Snyder's movie. <laughs> <laughs> the video shows the Arctic crew celebrating. There's team captain John Richter. He's explaining that it's been a couple of frustrating months, but after a great deal of stick with itness, they're proud to report that as of a half hour ago, they surpassed the previous record for drilling down into an ice sheet. Yay. Good job, guys. After the recording ends, it starts again, showing bloody shirtless man saying, We're not who we are. And he says that into the video transmission. And then it stops when the other guy comes in and... Bumps the camera, I guess? Something, yeah. It takes a lot of toggles to make the transmission happen and one bump to <laughs> end it completely. Mulder lets Scully know that they've been tagged for this team, either because they are brilliant or expendable. Well, you're in the basement, so you tell me what you think it is. <laughs> they go to Doolittle Airfield, Nome, Alaska, where they meet Professor Murray and the rest of the team. First, Mulder and Scully walk up on Professor Murphy. He's listening to a sport. <laughs> <laughs> Scully says, there's no football on Wednesday, which made me realize the sport was football. You commented. I was getting ready to say that. About how that sport person should have been retired at this time. And Mulder also comments, sports is what my note says. <laughs> <laughs> the guy talks about Dan Fouts. And I'm like, I said, 1993, I'm pretty sure... 
Faustle's retired by now. And then Mulder comes up and says, hey, Faustle's retired. Well, I'm glad you remembered because I didn't at all and just was like, this is sports talk. Sports, 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 sports. Where's the dog? <laughs> is the dog up? Did the dog die? <laughs> the rest of the team arrives and you have comments about the team. I love this team. The guest stars are fantastic. So Murphy, the first guy, is played by Steve Heitner, who was the coroner in The Prophecy, one of my favorite horror movies. Yes. Love that movie. It's my genre. <laughs> the the <laughs> doctor, the one of the doctors is Xander Berkeley, who was the werewolf dad in Being Human. So that's how I refer to him in my head this entire episode. is like, oh, werewolf dad does this, werewolf dad does that. I could not remember which werewolf movie, so in my mind, I made him the dad of the werewolf girls in Ginger Snaps. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Um, Jeff Kober is the pilot, one of the few people to play two different roles on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In this, his name is Bear. Bear. And he's got a, like a bear claw necklace. He's tough. He's a wilderness guy. Yeah. I'm the only pilot that's willing to fly you up there, so how's that for your credentials? If you don't like those credentials, you can walk. Yeah. All right, Bear, chill out, Bear. (laughs) Bear. (laughs) And then, of course, Felicity Huffman, uh, famous for being a felon. Yes! (laughs) Good job. They got her before she was a felon, though. That we know of. Ooh. Ooh, shade. Well, those kids weren't born yet. You think she only commits felons for her children? She only commits uh, rich people felonies, for sure. Now. And in 1993, guest starring on The X-Files, probably not rich enough to commit rich people felonies. Ah, oh, well. See, I got your back, Felicity Huffman, <laughs> apparently. That's good, because I do not. I tear into her whenever she's interesting enough in this episode to talk about. Can't wait. <laughs> Anybody else? You good. That's all the guest stars. Okay. So they all get into the chopper, I guess. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's a plane. It's obviously a plane. Is it a plane? They show, they show they them show flying. It? I never looked up when they were doing that. I... I swear, just now, I thought you were trying to goad me into saying, get to the chopper. No, I just assumed. Because I was typing every time that they would show it, apparently. All right. They arrive at the Arctic Ice Core. I guess because I was thinking, where do they land? But they can really land anywhere? They showed it had, like, these big... They weren't big enough to be pontoons, so he's not landing on the water, so they're, like, skis? Yeah, that makes sense. Having watched this twice, I never looked at the plane. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm not the set designer, guys. They arrive at the Arctic Ice Core project in Icy Cape, Alaska. Before putting the bodies in bags, they turn on the power, document the scene, and generally snoop. I mean, investigate. Yes. <laughs> Murphy wants to preserve some ice core samples. Makes sense. Everything that happens in this part is just basically them arriving and getting settled in. Covering all the bases so that we know that they took care of the business portion of the day. And I said, there's the dog! It tackles Mulder, then it tackles Bear, then Hodge injects the dog with something that knocks it out. This whole scene was just a mess of movement. Yeah. <laughs> I think Jeff Kober's uh, direction that he was given, though, was just play with this dog. That would make sense. Because <laughs> the dog's just like... Yes. And Jeff Kober's acting, but he's acting like, I got you, I got you, I got you. Yes. I got you, I got you. 
<laughs> oh, you're a good boy, aren't you? Basically, the whole attack scene is them playing with the dog, and you can tell when you're watching it. it. They do a good job of making it look like an attack scene, but you can also tell if you're paying attention that the dog is having a good time. Yeah. So I appreciate that. After the dog is knocked out, Felicity says, is it rabies? And I wrote, where would it get rabies, Felicity? That's exactly what I thought. That's exactly what I thought. It got rabies just... Being in the Arctic. But apparently it's the bubonic plague, which I also wrote, how? <laughs> <laughs> well, from the... I, I That one I, I get from the ice core. Why would the bubonic plague be in the ice core? There's apparently all kinds of crap in the ice core. Well, then stop digging it up for the Guinness Book of World Records position. Yes. I agree. Ugh. So now Bear has the plague. Uh, something moves under the dog's skin, like an annihilation. <laughs> and a thing which may or may not have happened in The Thing, because we couldn't remember. Yeah, we didn't watch it before this viewing or after. So. I listened to some podcasts do reviews on The Thing, but they didn't mention this moving under the skin. I was hoping they would tell me. They didn't. Bear is too proud to have any of the doctors help him with the dog bite. So he goes into the bathroom and discovers swollen nodes and black spots, similar to the ones they find on the dog, but no one else knows. So he's just being bare in the bathroom. At this point, I hadn't put together that these were like symptoms of the disease, and I thought <laughs> my my dumb brain made me think that the black spots moved from the dog <laughs> to bear. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> Because they said the dog didn't have him anymore, so I was like, they moved over to him. <laughs> well, in a way, because it's contagious, it did move from the dog <laughs> to bear. Scully autopsies the dead guys. She declares they killed each other while touching her face while wearing the gloves she wore during the autopsy. <laughs> Gross, Jillian. Is what, is what I wrote. <laughs> Bear asks about the black nodules. The dead guys don't have the nodes. I went back and forth between nodules and nodes, but the little black spots. And now Hodge says that the dog's nodes are also gone. But no one thinks to examine sweaty, sweaty Bear. <laughs> Who's clearly feverish. He is not doing well. Mulder heads over to talk to Murphy. Murphy isn't paying attention, even though he really should be. And I wrote, more sports. <laughs> all the sports <laughs> it's some other old game that he's listening to but in this situation i feel like paying attention is the way to go seems like it would be very important and we hear while Mulder and murphy are talking about the ice core and some geological science scully and hodge are arguing and this is the first scene where things get tense between the team we know that bear had a, a bit of a huffiness about getting bitten and then wanting to treat himself but that was really more just bear being standoffish and this is the first scene where there's actually arguing between the team and so we hear them arguing off screen because we're still with Mulder and Murphy and I wrote this that down because they don't argue much in this whole not necessarily just this in this whole show there's not a lot of arguing yeah Mulder and Murphy were about to become best friends they were over ice Yep. But Scully and Hodge are arguing, and Scully found the presence of ammonium hydroxide in Richter's blood sample. Richter was one of the guys. I think he was the team captain. And they determine that it was probably from the ice core. They find a small skeletal-shaped worm in the microscope, in the blood when they're looking in the microscope. And then Bear is obviously ill, but no one notices. <laughs> So the team agrees to testing before leaving, except Bear. I guess he draws the line at fecal testing. <laughs> He's not going to drop his cargo for anybody. Ugh. Gross, Bear. Just 
Come on. Bear gets violent. They eventually subdue him, and a weird shape moves under his skin, like the dog who has disappeared once again. He gets violent. He smashes a glass over Mulder's head. Yes, the fecal collection sample glass. <laughs> and Mulder falls down and then recovers immediately. Yes. I was like, good job. That's, that's high constitution right there. Also, for anybody planning their wedding, it was basically a mason jar, so enjoy that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I want people to see mason jars and think about fecal collection and ice. <laughs> no? Okay. I won't take that from you. <laughs> they hold Bear down while Hodge cuts a worm out of his neck. While they're dealing with Bear, Mulder radios for help. He calls the Doolittle Airfield, which informs him he's SOL. I liked that the person on the other end wasn't like, well, we're sorry, Mr. Mulder. That's just not, we can't do anything. They're like, nope, I have the the bit. You you be Mulder, okay? Oh. And now for Cast Files Theater. Okay. So there's a whole bit, and then the radio says, We copy Agent Mulder. This area is under a heavy storm, and no aircraft can get out for the next day. Maybe the military base in Kozebu can help set up a quarantine? Advise immediate evacuation. The Arctic storm is bearing in your direction. Over. We were told we would have three clear days of weather. Over. Welcome to the top of the world, sir. Over. Hang on, I want to try mine again. We were told we would have three clear days of weather. Over. Welcome to the top of the world, sir. Over. (laughs) (laughs) That was Cast Files Theater. I don't think my David Duchovny is very good. (laughs) You're going to keep doing impressions, bad impressions, so I guess we'll just all have to get used to it. Yes, you're all going to have to get used to it. I mainly meant you. You seemed so surprised when you listened back and your... My Elvis was terrible? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was. Uh, Oh, also Bear's dead. (laughs) That happened (laughs) while we were talking about my impressions. Scully finds worms in all the bodies. Bear's worm is the only one still living. And the worms were in the hypothalamus. Hormones acting... Oh, (laughs) there's a lot of discussion. And I wrote, hormones acting aggressive floods the system to limit the capacity to control violent behavior. The worm basically makes you want to kill other people. And they theorize that the worm attaches to the hypothalamus. Hodge explains that the hypothalamus releases acetylcholine, which produces violent, aggressive behavior. That might be a connection. Everybody that's been infected certainly seems to act aggressively. Maybe the worm feeds on acetylcholine, which floods our capacity to control violent behavior. So, exposition Hodge. Good job. That's a good theory. Mulder wants to keep the worm alive. Scully wants to kill it because she's right. Yeah. (laughs) They argue, which I can only imagine this whole scene is Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny standing behind a barrier yelling their lines. (laughs) That's probably how they did it. Uh, But one of Mulder's big arguments is it's an alien that traveled here on a meteor because it's in a crater. And what if there are other ones out there somewhere? The likelihood that more than one meteor-carrying life hit this planet is so astronomical that it's ridiculous to even say out loud. Take that, Mulder. Yeah, take that, Mulder. While Mulder and Scully are arguing, Da Silva is hot. 
That's Felicity Huffman's character. She's worried she has a fever, but Hodge says she's okay. The heating system is malfunctioning. So now this is really, this is a good idea for the set because we're starting to see people get agitated. Yeah. And we're starting, we know that Bear got feverish before he died and we knew that he was infected, but now everybody's looking a little feverish because nobody's sleeping, nobody's eating, everybody's on edge, and they're all overheated. So everybody's going to be acting different than they were. Yes. Everybody is heightened and more aggressive than they normally would be. It's good. It's really good. The team break up Mulder and Scully's arguments and eventually decide to examine everyone. Scully examines them all in front of each other because they decide that that would be the the best way to do it so that there's nobody's hiding anything. But then they break up anyway. It really did seem that way, yes. <laughs> the scene with her and De Silva is better than any doctor's exam I've ever experienced. Oh yeah, that's why Scully said everybody do it in front of each other, but then they broke apart. <laughs> because this scene between the two of them? Ooh, Scully's having an awakening. I think a lot of people had an awakening. (laughs) Yeah, Felicity Huffman did too, because Scully slowly works her way up to Silva's body, (laughs) and then they make eye contact, and Felicity Huffman looks like she's thinking, are we gonna kiss? Happy Pride, everyone! Happy Pride! (laughs) I wrote plus, as many have said, because on Twitter I've seen a lot of people saying that the darkness in this show, the dark lighting features bother a lot of people but i was like the dark lighting just adds a little something to this scene (laughs) yeah mood lighting it seems like there might have been candles flickering off to the side de comments while undressing before anyone passes judgment let's just remember it's the arctic and while you thought that was a great line (laughs) i want to remind everyone that the heating system is malfunctioning so everyone's sweating because it's so hot yes although again back to twitter i have heard rumors (laughs) rumors of what David Duchovny. I don't know what that means. I don't know what those rumors are. I have not heard them. Hmm. You know, there's a couple different ways that could be taken. Yeah. Okay. Everyone is air quotes fine, and then they all go to bed. And I wrote, where is the dog? (laughs) (laughs) Scully looks at photos on the dresser. So everyone's in their own rooms. Scully picks a room with a bunch of scantily clad women on the walls. The bosom buddies. Yes. And some Playboy covers. Oh, I didn't I didn't notice those. Uh, she's looking at photos on the dresser, and she pulls the dresser to block the door. We all admire the Bosom Buddies poster in her room. Is what I <laughs> but I also was wondering what's inside that happy birthday package, because I'm just nosy. But the thing that we realize is Scully is obviously being not necessarily paranoid because she's right. And paranoid usually is taken as somebody's incorrect. Right. (laughs) So I don't want to say she's wrong. Uh, But she is being hypervigilant and cautious. Everyone else is too, because we scan through the whole team and realize that Scully isn't the only one who's being paranoid or there's a couple people taking notes and basically trying to figure out who is infected. Yeah, Hodge is going through the list. He's like, Mulder attacked by dogs. Scully came into contact with blood. Murphy uh, came into contact with the ice core. Does not put him down or De Silva. No. Doesn't even consider them as options. No. One thing that I will note, I was going to mention this later, Hodge and De Silva show up together. It's unclear what their relationship is. Yeah. But Hodge dismisses De Silva in every instance he possibly can. So I'm not surprised he forgot to put her on that list. I don't think he put her, he didn't put her on that list because he's thinking, well, it's definitely not us. I think he's forgotten about her. Wow. Interesting theory. Yeah. There's a noise outside 
and it gets people's attention. We cut over to Mulder, who had been asleep, and he awake startled. He goes looking around and finds Murphy's door open. We know it's Murphy's door because the video cassette, the cassette player is on the bed. His Walkman. Yes, that's what it is. And then I wrote, there's the dog. <laughs> <laughs> As it's going. Rawr, rawr. Yeah. Mulder walks out of the room with the dog in it because the dog's in the cage. He's walking around the lab. He hears dripping sounds and we see water and blood dripping out of the human-sized freezer. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> it was a surprise to everybody. Yep. Mulder opens the door while he's looking at the floor where the blood and water are dripping, and Murphy's body falls out on top of him. Murphy's throat is slit. Oh, there goes his best friend. I know. He would have been besties forever. They would have been on each other's Christmas lists. Yep. Mulder catches Murphy's body as he falls out of the freezer, and at that moment, literally everyone else has left their rooms and enters the lab together to see Mulder crawling out from under Murphy's body. Bad timing. They accuse Mulder of killing him? Yes. And I want to know, do they think that Mulder slit his throat with his gun? That's a good point. Because he's clearly holding a gun. Why would he... He is not holding a murder weapon for the way that this guy was murdered. (laughs) So... It is ridiculous for them to think, oh, it's definitely Mulder. He was in the same room as the dead guy. I can see jumping to that conclusion initially, but then upon further examination, you would be like, wait a second, this doesn't actually track. Yeah, and there's so much blood inside the refrigerator that it's dripping out. So clearly somebody put the body in. Why would Mulder, the person who, quote, killed him, suddenly just take him out for no reason? The forensic evidence is exonerative of Mulder. (laughs) I'm mad at everybody who thinks he did it. Well, it does create a tense scene. Hodge grabs a crowbar. Mulder points his gun at Hodge. Scully points a gun at Mulder. And then Mulder points a gun at Scully. Everybody's hot and bothered and acting out. Yes. Hodge yells that Mulder must be confined now. And he's right, but they all kind of need to be confined. (laughs) Yes. Mulder's put in a closet larger than any in this house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's actually kind of an office space slash storeroom and it has this really heavy sliding door with a heavy duty lock on the outside it looks like a refrigerator door like a walk-in refrigerator door but that's not what it is no i was wondering about it or um a train car door you slide it and then you put the pin in the door okay yeah yeah what is the point of this heavy duty door is what i'm curious about because it's not going to insulate no and it locks from the outside but doesn't really lock you just secure it anybody can pull that pin out it locks somebody in that's for sure but what before the need to lock molder in there would they have designed that for could not tell you so everyone is deteriorating as we've been seeing everything's been heightened and i wrote though felicity huffman's acting doesn't change <laughs> oh wow oh this reminds me uh when Mulder and scully are pointing their guns at each other mm-hmm. the way scully gets Mulder to put his gun down is to say you might not be who you are so she speaks his language to him. Yes. And I really appreciated that. That shows that, like, she knows him. Yeah. And, and he trusts her. Mm-hmm. When Yeah. It, it really showed the relationship between the two of them. I liked that. And then you could tell that he cares for Scully in the platonic partner way, where yeah. when she's putting him in the closet and he says, I will be safer in here than you will out there. Yep. And it's kind of a warning. Like, yeah. Watch your back. While Mulder's in the closet, De Silva falls asleep in the open lab area. Scully sneaks over to check her neck for worms. Hodge catches Scully, and there's this whole argument because Scully has a gun, no one else has a gun, and Hodge is like, well, if you become infected, we're all SOL, basically. And my reaction to that was, would be, 
Yep. <laughs> You're correct. Scully ejects the magazines from her two guns that she had and throws them into the snow outside. But she didn't remember that there are two more guns in there somewhere. <laughs> Luckily, though, you know, somebody else does. Well, De Silva asks, was there something there? Because she's concerned now that Scully was checking her. And Hodge, like I mentioned before, who's been ignoring her this whole time, blows her off again, doesn't check her, and doesn't even look at her. And he says, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, at this point, wouldn't you think that we'd all be checking each other like every half an hour? Yeah. And never leaving each other's sight. No. Nobody could be alone. They didn't watch the thing before they went out there. And they, they should have. Oh, when De Silva falls asleep in the lab, Scully is back with Mulder. So it's just the two of them. So uh -huh. Scully's walking back alone. And they think Mulder is... Infected. <laughs> De Silva has fallen asleep. I'm sure everybody's overly exhausted. So I'm not really... I'm not criticizing her for this because it's super warm in there. Everybody's just running on nothing. So she falls asleep. But she's alone, mm -hmm. which is why she falls asleep. And we don't know where Hodge is. He's in a different room because he walks in and catches Scully. So everybody had split up while Scully was putting Mulder, who is in theory the infected one, away. What are you guys doing? They are not taking proper precautions. I agree. Scully goes to the radio to send for a general distress call and there's nothing. No response. And I wrote, the next scene is between Hodge and De Silva. They are going at it now. I wrote, Hodge is awful. Is he the boss? Because I still don't know what their dynamic is. I missed what their titles were at the beginning. Well, he's a medical doctor and she's a toxicologist. Okay. So he, there's no real reason he would be her boss. No, they should be a team. Something. Because that would make sense. Hey, I'm going to examine people and you're going to do the testing on the blood and stuff. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, their relationship re remains a mystery. Yes. Only Hodge is awful. Yeah. He tells De Silva to put a drop of uninfected blood on infected blood so they can see what the skeletal worm fetuses do. Makes sense. De Silva is either feverish or incredibly tired. Something's wrong with her. It's unclear, but she's there's something obviously off. She ends up putting a drop of infected blood on infected blood, and Hodge loses his shit. Uh, just, he acts very aggressive, like somebody's feeding on his acetylcholine. <laughs> he yells that hours of work have been ruined. And wrote, dude, chill. It was one sample, two drops of blood total, and we can see other vials of blood. Regardless, he's being dramatic. If it takes hours to put two drops of blood on a slide, you're doing your job wrong. It's wild. While they're arguing, they De Silva and Hodge both leave the room again. So again, they're leaving, and Scully's by herself. She looks at the microscope at the blood and realizes that the worms are like beta fish. They'll fight each other if they see each other. So they fight to the death, and Hodge doesn't apologize. <laughs> of course not. He's got that werewolf DNA. Oh. He's aggressive. They determine that putting infected blood with infected blood causes the parasite worms to fight to the death. Then they decide to test their theory by putting a mealworm in the dog's ear. No, first they put the two worms in containers next to each other. Yeah, that's what the betta fish comment was about. When they put the two containers containing the worms and they fight each other, they try to fight each other through the glass, the CGI is god-awful. And there has to be a practical effect way to do that, especially since this is clearly an homage to John Carpenter. They should have been doing practical effects for that, and I am offended. <laughs> They do use real mealworms. Sometimes. Every, yeah, in a lot of the other places. But yeah, the CGI guys were, were nuts. The basic summary here is blood and blood together. They The little skeletal worm things fight to the death. And now they're going to put a 
full-size mealworm into the dog's ear. Right. Why Why not inject it with blood? Well, because the tiny little worms aren't big enough to kill the big worm. Oh. That's my guess. Okay. I have put zero thought into that. Well. That's just my initial reaction. Alright. Well, it works because the dog is a good dog now. Good dog. Scully wants to check on Mulder and determine whether the new worm vaccine should be given to him. There is a lot of loud whispering. Scully checks Mulder's upper back for worms. She finds nothing. And as they're leaving, he grabs the back of her shirt and she gasps. And it was just another, just like, woo! (laughs) And then he examines her for worms. And if there weren't worms in all of these scenes, this would be a pretty hot episode. (laughs) So... So anyway, Mulder and Scully leave the closet as DeSilva and Hodge have decided Scully won't infect Mulder. Scully says the two of them are cleared because they've checked each other and wants to check DeSilva and Hodge. Hodge agrees but wants to inspect Mulder first, but not where they currently are. He wants to go to the main building for some god-awful reason. Why? All you have to do to see if the person is infected is look at the back of their neck for um, less than two seconds because that's all it takes to see the worm swimming around in their vertebrae. That never made sense to me, both viewings. And also, this is the first time when Mulder and Scully are in the room together, this is the first time that De Silva starts acting funny. She's been cool and okay the entire episode until just now. I mean, she's been a poor actor the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) But but the character isn't acting any different than anybody else in the situation of being hot and alone and scared. Right. Hodge hits Mulder over the head. De Silva throws Scully in the closet and locks her in. And Hodge holds Mulder as De Silva tries to touch him (laughs) How I wrote this, I got confused. Tries to touch Mulder with another mealworm because she's got it in the little tongs. (laughs) A little mealworm in tongs and it looks like she's just saying, I'm going to touch you with it. As she bends down, Hodge sees the worm thing into Silva's neck and knocks her back, which is probably his favorite part of this whole episode because he gets to throw her across the room. I've been wanting to physically assault this woman for years. He yells to Mulder, it's her. De Silva runs away. She's breaking glass and causing general mayhem. When she first runs away, she pushes Mulder and it is hilarious. <laughs> this whole this whole thing is hilarious. Because she barely bumps into David Duchovny and he jumps up <laughs> into, into some empty cardboard boxes and immediately recovers because I guess he was just like I need to run soon after this. So <laughs> I need to get up. <laughs> so he, just, he doesn't hit the deck or anything. He just jumps back into some boxes and then is immediately fine. <laughs> While De Silva is running around and breaking things, the sound editor is having a ball. <laughs> I want to know where he found the sc- what soundboard he found these screams on. Oh, just scream, 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 just <laughs> constant. It was it's great. It's a great scene. De Silva it is still going through things. She grabs a gun and fires. It was a gun that was in an inventory or... um... It was the gun that Richter had at the beginning that he used to shoot himself. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and they had it in like an evidence bag. That's what it was, evidence bag. (laughs) They all struggle, but eventually run to Silva down and infect her with the mealworm in her ear. She struggles and appears to have some type of seizure and then falls still. When she wakes up, she's fine. These... Worms are typically in the back of your neck, and if you put another worm in someone's ear, somehow those two worms find each other immediately. Immediately. Are they burrowing (laughs) through your skull? (laughs) 
because our bodies, I don't know if you know this, but our bodies are not hollow. There's stuff what? inside. What? Ew. There's, there's, some people say that there's a skeleton in No. There. Wet bones? <laughs> Wet bones. Ew. <laughs> Roast. <laughs> love that this is another episode where time doesn't make any sense. We don't know how long they've been here. And it seems like the worms are infecting people at wildly different rates. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's interesting. Alright, so she's after she's infected and become and she's fine. They all get rescued at some point. <laughs> one of the guys come one of the rescuers. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the mice who are the rescuers. <laughs> it probably was them. <laughs> says that it I love this part because we get the exposition of what happened. It's kind of like the text on the screen so that we know what happened to the people that we never see again. A prologue. Editor's note, it's an epilogue. Yes. Um, De Silva and the dog are fine. They are taken to a hospital to be quarantined to make sure that they don't infect the general population. Great. Great. Good. Nice closure. The rest of them have tested fine. Mulder is determined to go back to the Arctic. Prepared this time. Yeah. And uh, how did you go last time? Unprepared? Unprepared for what they found. I guess. He's going to get Kurt Russell's big hat from the thing. Yes. And then go back. You're right. That's That's, all all he needs. That and some flamethrowers. Yep. Uh, He wants to continue testing or whatever. And Hodge says, haven't you heard? They torched the place. So we already know that sub-zero temps, ammonia, and time don't kill this thing. Why do we think fire would? Fire cleanses all. And I wrote, then again, lots of flamethrowers in the thing. Yes. (laughs) So I think you're right. And Mulder says, it's still there, deep in the earth. Scully says, leave it there. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really good. And this, once again, is an unresolved X-File. Yep. All right. Do you have anything else to say about this episode before we get into our... Well, Hodge does the weird... They bookended it with Hodge being skeptical of the government, very mistrusting of them just because they're in the FBI. Right. Well, which I understand, actually. Mm-hmm. But then why work with them? It's like, oh, CIA, NSA, CDC, they're your friends. Why don't you know? I see why sometimes you would have to work with these people to gain access. He wanted access to this site, and the only way for him to get access to the site was to work with the FBI. So he didn't want to team up with them. It was just a, it was a work thing, basically. Sometimes you have to work with partners at work that you don't want to. Why'd you look right at me when you said that? You're the only one in here. (laughs) I can look at Louie, but he's asleep. Okay. (laughs) All right, well, I have a feeling we're going to have the same answer on this one but no we're not because you already said it ah so who are you shipping <laughs> the two guys at the beginning oh yeah romeo and juliet yep good one i guess that's okay now flannel and skins however you want to call them <laughs> sure shirts and skins yes. rowdy roddy piper and keith david yes well i'm going with the obvious here <laughs> scully and da silva you're yep that's good that's a good one because they definitely they, they had a moment they had a real moment Oh, you know what? They could still get together because Da Silva's fine. She just has to be in quarantine for however long quarantine lasts they, for an unknown <laughs> parasite. Alien worm. Let's, uh, I've got my fingers crossed for those two. Oh, the next date scene should be them. Yeah. That would be so much better than Vampire Dad. <laughs> yeah. Who we determined wasn't actually, never played a never vampire. Never played a vampire. <laughs> or oh. a demon. Oh, well. How are you going to survive? I'm with Scully on this one as well. As soon as you see what's going on, you burn all of that down. 
Yes. And as soon as she suggests it, I'm like, yeah, do that. Yep. She was right. She had the right answer. It was right there in the episode. So good job. I, I agree. Um, I also, so it would either be that or why would I be in the Arctic at negative 40 degree Fahrenheit for literally, I work in marketing. <laughs> you can do that anywhere. <laughs> you work from home. You can do that. I can you do You can that. do that in the Arctic, 250 miles above the Arctic Circle. No, thanks. You could do that, though. I could, but I'm not going to. And we could get a dog. Oh, could we? If we move 250 miles north of the Arctic Circle, we can get a dog. That just seems like a lot. Can we just skip the first part and get the and get the dog? Nope. Those are, it's a, it's a combo package. <laughs> it's exclusive. <laughs> it's an exclusive one-time deal. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think we've both already said this, that this is... This is our favorite episode so far. Yeah, I loved it. As much as I have been harping on it for being the thing and just the John Carpenter, we'll call it homage. Yeah. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was tense. It was good. I The first time we watched it, I quit writing notes halfway through it because yep. I just started watching the episode. I like this because even as much of an homage to the thing as it is, it probably introduced a whole generation of people to the thing who may not have watched it. Could be, yeah. Because why would they? Yeah. This was TV time. Although, how do you get old movies in 1993? Blockbuster video. Did they have old movies too? Yeah. And the thing is not that old. Maybe like 83? It could be 83. 82. 82. All right. Okay. So 11 years later, there's an homage. That seems reasonable. Yeah, pretty good. All right, well, we are eight episodes in, eight episodes down. We have now lasted as long as, this one hurts, Garfunkel and Oates. They had a show? They did have a show, and apparently that's why it only lasted eight episodes, because nobody knew. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was really good, too. Oh. It was a really good show. I was thinking about them recently. Oh, for good reason. Everybody <laughs> should always be thinking about them. They're fantastic. We've also lasted as long as a TV show called Profit, which I watched while it was on and thought it was brilliant okay profit is that like the religious profit or like some donald trump bullshit it's profit like money okay. and this guy is like a devious business guy who eliminates his competition it was real edgy for its time and i thought it was brilliant because i was like 12 or whatever eight episodes aired but four episodes never aired and i bought the dvds oh my gosh he's showing me the dvds guys i bought the dvds when they came out because i remembered first of all adrian pazdar um yeah that's a good hunk of man meat right there. Some of the visual effects in this. What? That's what he brings up on his computer when he eliminates a enemy. He like deletes their picture. <laughs> it looks all grid-like like that. Wow. 1996. Yep. Oh, oh so I was not 12. I was, <laughs> I was like 19. <laughs> Uh, April 96, I was only 18. Oh, that, yeah, that makes a lot of difference. Yep. Because there's huge a huge difference. difference between 18 and 19. Uh, wow. All right, and for this episode, I'm going to make a prediction oh. that we lasted as long as Crime Scene Kitchen. What? <laughs> which is a brand new show. As of our recording, two episodes have aired. As of release, five episodes will have aired and i'm gonna say that our episode number eight is gonna beat that show oh is that another cooking show and it's just people being terrible at cooking it's a cooking show uh, hosted by joel McHale. the contestants go into a kitchen and look at the aftermath of somebody cooking something they have to guess what was cooked and then cook it oh my gosh that's <laughs> stupid so my my prediction is cast files will last longer than that at this episode episode eight i hope so <laughs> what a 
a god awful idea. Here, come cook in this dirty kitchen. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I hope they don't make them clean. Cook in that kitchen that hasn't been cleaned yet. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Here's a filthy kitchen. There's salmonella everywhere. Yes, we cooked chicken. Enjoy. Gross. Yep. All right. Bye. The Cast Files is produced by Kristen Riley and Dave Reed. This episode edited by Dave Reed. Follow us on Twitter at Cast Files. Follow me on Twitter at Dave Reed. D-A-I-V-E-R-E-E-D. Music by Hal Six. Logo by at Uka Art. That's O-O-K-A-A-R-T. Please, please, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would really do us a huge favor. You can buy our t-shirts at tpublic.com. You can get that logo on pretty much anything there. And you know what? You're my favorite.